and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is hosted by Casper, the best mattresses you'll ever sleep on. I'm Simone de Rochefort, video producer at Polygon.com, and I'm joined by Christina Warren, senior writer at Gizmodo, and Stephen Hackett. Did I say Stephen Warren? No, you said no. You said Stephen Hackett. You okay? Good. Yep. I was really worried that I had just introduced you as Stephen Warren, which would be so weird. Stephen Hackett. I would be honored to take Christina's last name. Co-founder <laughs> of Relay FM. Hey, yeah. big boss is here. Big boss. What's up, boss man? I'm just checking in. You know, it's uh, your reports are late. We have TPS reports that we need to. to so input. many. I, I'm 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 not gonna do it. I'm not going to do them. I'm just, just going to be honest revolution. with you right now. It's not going to happen. That's fine with me. I We started Relay, so none of us would ever have to do that sort of thing ever again. Hey, okay. So Brianna is out this week uh, recovering from having her voice renewed, refreshed, rejuvenated. Uh, she talked too much. Just talked too much. We told her, stop, Brianna. You're going to get in trouble. Stop. And she was like, no, it's fine. It's fine. Um, and uh, no, we, we wish her well. We miss her. Um, we're very grateful that Steven is here to uh, step in. But uh, but Bri, we're thinking about you. We love you. And we can't wait to have you back. Yes, she is alive. She had her surgery and she has been posting on social media. And yeah, so she'll be back with us. We'll have many fantastic guests to make you miss her tons. So thank you, Steven. You, I know that you have been uh, like in the background of shows when we recorded like that time that Brianna and Christina recorded live that one time. Yes. That was cool. Yep. I was sitting on the floor. <laughs> oh, that's a, such a good mental image. I love that. But this is your first time as a guest on the show. Uh, what, what do you think you're going to bring to the team? Um, bad jokes and bad jokes, bad, bad dad jokes. I, when we were planning, uh, I think I was, I think I texted you and I said, uh, pop culture is not my thing. So if we go down that road, I'm just going to quietly recede into the background and then come back to talk about, I don't know, firmware on laptops or something. Well, That's no really worries. what I bring. And then you firmware, use firmware conversations. Uh, an Apple sticker on me. And I, looking back on that conversation, got so confused because you put it over my message. And I... That's, that's fine. <laughs> I was like, what? I didn't send this. Did Steven hack my phone? And then I was like, oh, God, it's one of those stickers that I don't use because I don't freaking text people. I use Facebook Messenger like a true 12 year old. OK, so let's <laughs> this is actually a great segue. Um, our first topic of the night is about Facebook and about the fake news uh, that uh, BuzzFeed did a report on. Uh, so BuzzFeed did a really in-depth investigative report on how much fake news surfaced in a big way on Facebook during the last few months of the election and kind of delving into the history that Facebook has, their struggles. Uh, we talked about it last May where their uh, curation team for the news feed was all fired after it was revealed. Or th- there was discussion about whether they were biased in uh, the liberal bent. They were all fired, replaced with an algorithm. Algorithm Briefly, things got very weird in the Facebook news feed in a just bizarre, outlandish, space alien way. And then it kind of stabilized. But uh, over the last few months of the election, BuzzFeed showed that there was just a huge uptick in sharing, uh, like surfacing of... Just stories from bad sources, stories that were fake, stories that were not like properly researched out. Um, well, I mean, I mean, just just f- fake stories from from fake sites. Um, many of them are based. Uh, w- of these sites are kind of based in Macedonia, and the whole idea is it's it's you know it's 
kind of like spam and people would create content farms basically to write articles with a particular bent. Um, in, in this case, you know, a very pro conservative values. This is not a political podcast, but this is just the fact, like this is how these things were done. And, and, but the stories were untrue on every single level. Um, and you know, but, but people create these sites because they get clicks and if they get a fraction of a penny for every page view and they're getting you know, millions upon millions of page views and that's actual real money. So they can just kind of run these in automated systems and, Facebook's algorithm would surface them the same way that they would treat regular news stories. Um, like you were saying, there was you know the controversy back in May when uh, Gizmodo's uh, Michael Nunez uh, revealed that internally people at Facebook said that the their internal news team, which has since been laid off, um, would uh, downvote conservative news um, with this stuff and. Uh, uh, with, with their own newsfeed. And so they would give more credence to traditional publications like the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or the Washington Post over somebody like, say, like 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 Breitbart or the Daily Caller. And, um, you know, there was, I think, room for discussion about like what role Facebook plays in that. But I think that they took that criticism, which they, they whether they want to admit it or not, they took that criticism very seriously. You know, they met with conservative leaders, they ended up getting rid of that trending news team and laying off that team. Um, you know, they they definitely they, Facebook says over and over again it's not a media company, even though let's be serious, guys, it's a media company. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous for them to claim that they're not a media company. They absolutely are a media company. They you know have they have a platform for video, they have a platform for for stories, they have a platform for fast instant articles. They literally want everyone to use them as a platform for distribution. That doesn't not, that that makes them the same as as any other media company just because they are also a technology company doesn't change that. Anyway, um, you know, I think based on the the criticism that they got from from being too hard or maybe having too much of a left-leaning bent, um, what uh Michael Nunez again from Gizmodo revealed um uh, earlier this week was that, you know, Facebook had the opportunity with Basically, I guess since in the last couple of weeks, this this whole thing idea of fake news and how much fake news is on Facebook has become an issue. And Mike, my colleague, looked into it and and he talked to people at Facebook, um, you know, uh, sources at Facebook, who basically confirmed, yeah, they had plans and had tools in place to get rid of some of the fake news, um, but because they were afraid of a backlash from conservatives, they shelved that plan and uh, opted for for other things, and so. As a result, as BuzzFeed's report today indicated, um, fake news actually ended up doing better traffic-wise than real news. Which is so – like I can't even really put into words just how frustrated I was researching the story and reading these things. It just – it seems so – it seems logical to me that you could just say, okay, well, I know that – Breitbart peddles hate and false stories, they're not going to surface in that sidebar where people find news, where I myself, like, often... Well, these aren't even Breitbart stories. I mean, I think yeah, you can yeah, make the argument... Even, the, the, yeah, the, even worse. Like, the, I mean, honestly, the Macedonian sites. I, I don't I mean, know any of their names, but, like, Daily Conservative and stuff like that. I mean, they're, they're literally trash sites. They're literally sites that exist for the sole reason of gaming this system. They are not real articles. They aren't real reporters. You know, I mean, Breitbart, you can disagree yeah, they don't with they publish. actual people on their sites you, you, who work You can there. disagree with what Breitbart writes and you can disagree with their tone, but you can at least say that what they're doing is in some sense, you know, I mean, they have reporters. They're actually hiring people. They, we might not agree with what they're publishing, but they're, they're doing reporting. Um, this is literally made up stuff. Mm-hmm. Fiction. Yeah. I mean, 
you look at some of these headlines, BuzzFeed has this, uh, these top five election stories and the amount of engagement they each saw. And the, I mean, this is stuff that I saw and I want to, I want to talk about the filter bubble thing in a minute, but like this is stuff that I saw, I mean, it was just so prevalent and, I guess this is what happens, you know, uh, there's so many, there's a lot of Facebook quotes from early on in this thing. And it's sort of, I think the engineering like standpoint of like, well, we just wrote, you know, we wrote the code, we we set up the system and the system is doing its job. And, and, you know, we don't want to exercise editorial content over that. There's a really nice piece on Vox saying, basically you are, you are having editorial decisions made every day, but I mean, they, they created this, this machine and these people who wanted like you said, one of the clicks, one of the cash that comes from those clicks, they wrote effectively a virus for Facebook's news machine and exploited it. And you know, I think I think something that should be said, and, and it, like we're not going to get into the politics of it, but it, it could have gone, it could have been true on either side of the election. It, was, it happened to be more true on one than the other. Mm-hmm. Sure, they they took advantage of Facebook's system and Facebook's you know, hand hands off sort of tentative approach about this. And I mean, they really took the algorithm out for a ride and, and totally took advantage of it. Yeah. And, and Facebook's response to this from, from the beginning, you know, people were kind of critiquing and saying how much, you know, frankly to, to blame, which is, I'm not saying that that's the position I take, but, but that's something that people were asking, how much to blame are they for how much impact did they have on the election? And, and Mark Zuckerberg got very, very defensive. Oh, you know, I don't think we affected anything, and 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 you know certainly um, the fake news that 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 leaks out of Facebook had nothing to do with influencing anyone's opinion, and that's just that's just not true. And and this has nothing to do with whether you're happy or unhappy with the election results. It's just a fact of the matter that if you are the number one news platform, the number one sharing platform, the number one social network, and a place where more where increasingly tons of people from across demographics from around the world get their news you're going to have an impact whether you want to admit it or not you have an impact and again i don't i don't personally care whether the news is something that i if, if it's balanced in something i agree with or don't agree with i'm equally upset i would be equally upset if the fake news that had been promoted went w- w- was about opposite causes if they were lies in the other direction that to me would be equally as bad there there's there's no difference you you can't you know incentivize and basically give people money for spreading false information. That's just not okay. Mm -hmm. And I definitely like we have seen over the course of the past few years, just a complete willingness to lie from politicians. uh, Certainly. I mean, if we're thinking, I guess climate change would probably be the most apolitical example that I could go to here climate change is scientifically proven but it is treated as a political issue yes it's treated as a partisan issue and if facebook like for example was surfacing articles that were saying that climate change is fake that's just grossly irresponsible and it's the same thing with like any of these other issues like the more controversial ones being like abortion being dangerous which again i'm not trying to make this overtly political but like there are just lies that are spread about things like the about abortion about climate change or even that, about, about about criminal investigations yes. and and saying this is this is a fact this is happening and it's like that it's actually not happening mm-hmm. and, and and it's just or, appalling you know, to me that we can say well oh we should look at both sides of that issue and facebook is Facebook is afraid of offending people who believe that climate change is fake 
because, I mean, they, they obviously want the best thing for their platform. They want the most users, et cetera, et cetera. They're afraid of competition, et cetera, et cetera. Well, but like what – at what point no. do you sacrifice your morals and just let fake news completely flood your algorithm? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, but I mean, but looking at the headlines, you know, like Stephen pointed out, their top most engagement things. I mean, these are things that were all patently false. They're not even things where you could say because you can find. I agree with you. You know, climate change. Anybody who wants to argue, it's been scientifically proven. But you can find scientists who will say, "Oh, well, there's you know, discussion over whether you know it's man-made or not." Like there, there, are, there are nuances you can at least get into there. Where I wouldn't be opposed if someone wants to share something from a scientific journal that I don't agree with that has a, a take on that 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 is something I disagree with. If you want to share that on Facebook fine but when you're literally making things up mm-hmm. when you're yeah. when you're making a statement that says this report proves that climate change is all a conspiracy yeah that's when it becomes different you know to me and and becomes indefensible and and the fact is i mean we saw that this week too google was promoting if, if you for if you search for a certain thing for like who won the popular vote um in the election they were they were sourcing a inaccurate website that sourced their information from Twitter because, you know, that's that's obviously where you go for the facts that said that that, that Donald Trump won the popular vote. Um, that's not true. And in fact, now the, the, the official figures are coming through. We, we know that's not true, but that came up as number one in Google News results, mm-hmm. the, this other thing. Oh, despite this. And it was it was a completely fabricated false story, but it was the number one result on Google News. And if you Google, if you did a Google search for, you know, who won the popular vote, that was what you would see. And because that, that site happened to, you know, um, have its SEO organized the right way. Google responded to the controversy pretty quickly and said, obviously, this was a mistake. They removed it. But then they went one step further and they said, we will make sure that we are not allowing sites that sell fake news in our ad platform. Mm -hmm. Now, a couple hours later, Facebook then was like, oh, we're not going to let them in our ad platform either. But the problem (laughs) is... Like, you know, Facebook has a really bad track record with this stuff. What You can say whatever you want about Google. Google, I think, can make the argument much more easily than Facebook can that they're not a media company, um, you know, YouTube notwithstanding. I mean, because and, and, and Google's a weirder conglomerate anyway. But Google, I think you can make the argument a little bit more. Maybe maybe saying they're not a media company is is wrong. They're certainly less competent as a media company. That's for damn sure. OK, their they're, they're competency in that, again, YouTube notwithstanding is is pretty minimal. But you know, but but Facebook is a media company. I mean, Simone, you and I, we both work for organizations that spend, that make money directly making Facebook Live content and mm-hmm. that spend a tremendous amount of money um, with with buying ads and doing things on Facebook. And Facebook is is crucial to our publishing strategies. Absolutely. And and so they can't pretend like they're they're just you know some sort of middleman because they are encouraging people to create news specifically for their platform. They literally want people to make news Facebook first. And and you can't claim that you know. Um, and when you're also you're you you know you you want to become the the windows of of the internet, which is something Mark Zuckerberg used to say. You want to basically be everybody's destination. You know that's no different than when like Yahoo was starting out as a portal. Yahoo's you know big problem still is that you know they couldn't ever really decide if their main focus should be being a media company or being a tech company. But mm-hmm. for all the problems with Yahoo. One of them wasn't that they ever had any, you know, aspirations that they were not a media company. Mm-hmm. You know, Facebook might not have their editor, their editors now, but they still have journalists on staff that they have, you know, giving best practices for how other journalists can use their platform. Like it's, it's to me so hypocritical for them to be, you know, some of the biggest ad players in the business and, you know, have, uh, you know, make all their money on advertising, but, but they're not a media company. Mm-hmm. Be responsible. You are such a huge 
source for circulating information. Be responsible about how you use that power. That's well, especially when you have the tools, you know, according to their own people in place to to get rid of it. And and then you're afraid because of optics like, you know, they claimed, well, we had we had a couple of ways that we could have addressed this problem. We, we opted for this one option instead. OK, fine. Well, it clearly didn't work because as BuzzFeed's report points out, um, the fake news did better than the real news mm-hmm. and their own employees. This is another BuzzFeed story that, that came out after um, Mike's report about how, you know, BuzzFeed had basically not BuzzFeed. Facebook had basically, you know, um, foregone getting rid of fake news because they didn't want to piss off a certain segment of their users. Um, you know, uh, Facebook's own employees are not happy with this to the point that some of them are starting to kind of like go rogue and are saying, okay, well, if higher ups aren't going to take care of this, we're going to try to take care of this and go to them and, and see if we can fix this problem. That's really bad. The I think that says a l- we don't want to get rid of fake news because we don't want to upset people who believe it. That is a problem. That is an irresponsible problem with how, as a culture, we treat information as, like, as human beings, how we treat information and, like, stories and bias. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. Very angry. I think there's a a couple of things that play into that, too. I think, one, I really wonder how much, like, the average Facebook users, like, not, not people like us who have podcasts and work in tech and tech coverage, but, like, Average people who use Facebook, if they think about Facebook as a media company, I think it's obvious to the three of us and probably to most of our listeners that Facebook most definitely is a media company. They own a massive platform. But I do think a lot of people just view it as a place to go hang out and it's and news has sort of filtered its way there. But it, that, that, I think that's an important distinction. Like if if you go to Facebook thinking I'm going to – read the news here. That's a different mindset than, oh, I'm just seeing what my friends are up to and, oh, they're sharing this news story. That's a more organic thing and you may be more willing to believe that because, oh, hey, look what my, you know, look what my sister shared or look what my college roommate shared. They read it. I think the way they think. Um, right. They vetted it, it, it for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. And and the Facebook's platform is built around that very thing, right? Like if a bunch of my friends like this one baby picture, it's going to end up in my Facebook feed because that's the way it works. It, it puts things together that it thinks I want to see. And that can be a really powerful thing when it surfaces something nice, like a baby picture. But it's also <laughs> like really scary, like legitimately scary when it publicizes fiction. I mean, fake news is even the wrong word. It's fiction, like mm-hmm. fictional accounts that someone wrote on the internet saying that one presidential candidate did this or did that. And it, like, that's a that's a really powerful thing. And that's what's most troubling to me about Facebook's response in this is that they, I'm not sure they understand the, like, the gravity of their situation that they are in. That, yeah. And, you know and, what and I mean? It, I totally agree. And, and they don't want to have any culpability for anything. You know, they basically want to be hands off. Oh, well, we're just the platform. But you're not. You're, you're the distribution. Right. You are the platform, but you're more than that. And, and like you said, I mean, I think a lot of people definitely get their news from Facebook, but they might not want to outwardly admit that that's where they're getting a lot of information. But they see mm-hmm. it there. Oh, well, I saw this article. Where did you see it? Well, they probably saw it on Facebook, you know, and that's becoming their, their news feed. I mean, that's the, the name, news feed. And, you know, you assume, well, I saw so-and-so share this and, and you know, this person it, it knows what they're talking about and, and they wouldn't share something that's fake. Well, 
how do you know? I mean, especially when, when you can, you know, Facebook has a way to verify publishers and they have a way of, of although there even been some reports where verified publishers, even been, uh, publishers that have been verified as part of the program have published false news. But, you know, they have these tools in place. They could definitely put in provisions where you could probably couldn't stop the scourge of all of it, but you could certainly stop these publishers who are creating these things from creating pages that merely exist to, to promote and, and regurgitate false articles. Mm-hmm. Clearly mark them as satire. <laughs> yeah, well, up at I the mean, top, lies. Yeah. <laughs> right, no. you I mean, created you know, a page I mean, for I mean, lies. Well, what we saw too, and we saw this with some of the promoted stories of the trending team after, after, they, after they fired their trending news team. And, you know, whether there was an inherent bias with the people who were on that team or not is, is a different question. And, and you know, uh, but, but after they got rid of that team, you know, as you mentioned, Simone, or, at, at the top of the segment, you know, there were weird things. You would see false stuff in that feed. And that to me is, is what's even scarier because it's one thing, Stephen, where you're saying like, if, if, if your friends are sharing this stuff and it finds your way into its feed that way. But in some of these cases, these are things that Facebook is promoting themselves. They're promoting these stories in your feed because they see people around you sharing it or because it's in the trending section. And, you know, that's unacceptable. Mm. Mm-hmm. To- totally. I mean, they, they, it's the, the distinction to, I think to me is very clear that you can, you can weed out things that are true or that are fictional and you don't have to like, that's a different thing than saying, Oh, we uh, are weeding out conservative viewpoint or we're weeding out liberal viewpoint. It's yeah. It, is it, it can fa- still is be is just as much of an echo chamber as it already is without right. promoting fake stories. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I do. It, it, sorry. Go on. No, no. I mean, and it, it adds to that echo chamber effect. You, you see it, you know, surfaced from people you follow. You see it in the sidebar and the trending thing. And I think something that a lot of people um, are still sort of processing after the election is like, well, I thought it would go, you know, one way or another because it's so easy. And Facebook's design, the very core of it is this flaw that uh, we surround ourselves with things that we like and that we agree with, right? The This, um, uh, the filter bubble idea where, you know, if I if I you know if I believe the sky is red or I believe the uh, the Earth is flat, and I like a bunch of those pages, and I talk to friends I have that I've made on those pages, and that we talk about how the Earth is flat all the time, then eventually that's what's that is what the algorithm is going to start surfacing for me, right? That that oh, Stephen really believes the Earth uh, is not a sphere. Totally, totally is a sphere. By the way, I have a space podcast. I can say with sure, <laughs> liar. The Earth is get off this show right now. Flat. Rocket but, is a tell that's a flat tequila tequila because, all the way. <laughs> but but that's like it's this cycle and and that cycle like I, I'm not here to debate the filter bubble. I think I think we all would be better humans if we broke through that a little bit and and tried to read and understand other points of view. But that aside, like if you if you have the understanding that's what Facebook is doing, then they better make real damn sure that what's being fed into that machine is is at the very least truthful. Yeah, especially if, if you're going, I mean, now at least they've said, oh, we won't let these people be part of our ad network. Well, you shouldn't let them have pages on your site. Like, I think it's one thing. I would almost be even okay, like I would be annoyed. But like, if if these sites exist and if people want to share it of their own volition and say, oh, look at this, and it's, you know, completely made up, nonsense, fine. But the fact is, these are sites that, that have pages and whole 
you know, organizations built up around Facebook. This isn't just, you know, organically people finding this stuff and then spreading it around. These are pages that are created for this express purpose that are publishing this news out on their feed and that other people are finding and liking and sharing. So I have a solution for this. And it's actually that anytime like one of those stories from a fake site is shared, it will automatically appear on your newsfeed in multicolored comic sans of varying sizes. That's good. And when you go to their page on Facebook, it will be all comic sans, just all, all of it. Wow. With the big lie button at the top, but all just all of it pure. So you'll be able to tell really easily. That's you get my vote. I, I vote Thank I vote you. for your platform hundred yeah, percent. I I'm I'm with you, Simone. I think I, that I that's will be exactly starting Simone book. We're launching next month. You know, with all my downtime that I have, I decide to build a whole social media platform. Love it. Built on comic Built on Comic Sans. Okay, so that that alone will have me shut down my Facebook account and switch mm-hmm. to Simone. Book. Yeah, Mr. Sands <laughs> is a big supporter of me. Uh, I actually I coded this this new Facebook from the best place in the world, which is my Casper mattress. <laughs> it's time for me to disclose that I was lying, but the best place in the world is actually my Casper mattress, where I'm sitting right now to record this podcast. And this episode, as you might have guessed, is brought to you by Casper. Casper has created. The perfect mattress, which I can confirm since I sleep on it every day and I actually spilled coffee. So I I was doing some nice morning writing in my Mm. bed and I had my cup of coffee sitting next to me. And this is no fault of the mattress because I often will rest the glasses on my mattress. I'm doing it right now because even though I'm sitting on the mattress, it's still a nice firm surface for me to rest a glass on. I myself leaned over too far and upended an entire cup of coffee onto my wonderful mattress, which I then spent the next hour like frantically trying trying to soak up because I I love this mattress and you'll pry it out of my cold dead hands. I if I die in it, I want my body to be glued to it and lowered into my grave just all together. So, you also can get this mattress. Casper has done an awesome thing where they sell the mattresses online, uh cutting out that extra cost of having a brick and mortar store. You go to their website, you look at their nice mattresses, you think that looks great. I'm going to I'm going to order that mattress. The mattress comes to your home in a box that is exactly the size of a standing desk. It's like, I don't know what, like four feet tall. You can see it in my unboxing video. Um, it, It's just delivered to your house, all rolled up. It's vacuum packed and you cut it open, cut open the plastic packaging and it unfurls like a beautiful flower right onto your bed frame. And then you lie on it and you let out like the heaviest sigh in the world because Years of anguish have just been released from your body because you're lying on a really nice mattress. Can confirm multiple people who have come into my home and said, oh, you have a Casper? Let me lie on it. Have confirmed that it is, in fact, comfortable. (laughs) True story. So if you want to check out these mattresses, uh, they're so affordable. $500 for a twin, $750 for a full, $850 for a queen, $950 for a king. Um, And you can... Buy them, like I said, completely risk-free. Try it out for 100 nights, 100 blissful nights. Never send it back. And you can get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash rocket and using that offer code ROCKET, R-O-C-K-E-T. Get that mattress, get that good sleep. You will need it um, because the world is a dark and terrifying place. But your mattress isn't. Thank you, Casper, for sponsoring this episode of Rocket. Yeah. 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 So, Christina, it's finally time for you to tell us about the touch bar. So, um, 
I first have to kind of confess, I don't love the headline on my Gizmodo review. I didn't choose it. It's a little harsh. It says it's a gimmick and not worth the price yet. Um, I do think it's a gimmick, but that doesn't mean I think it's useless. So, I mean, the Touch Bar, we've heard a lot about it. Have you used the Touch Bar yet, uh, Stephen? I have not. I I bought a MacBook Pro, but I bought the one with the old-fashioned function keys. The escape, um, the escape edition. The escape, as Marco oh, Arman has named it. Yeah. Um, so I have right now in my possession. I've got to send them back, but I have all three. I have all three models of MacBooks. I have the Escape. I have uh, the 15 inch, and I have the 13 inch uh, Touch Bar. Um, so I mean, the thing is, is that right now it's it's useful for certain applications. Um, Third party support is, I think, where this thing is really going to kind of live and die. It's definitely very cool, which is what I said in my hands on. Actually, using it day to day, I'm not completely convinced. You know, they say it's like a whole you know revolutionary way of of, of input. I don't know about that. Uh, for example, um, one of the things that you can do with it is when you're typing text in anything that has like a rich text interface. So this includes the CMS on, on my website, gizmodo.com, or, um, you know, if you're in an email app or if you're in the notes app, or, you know, if you're entering text into almost any other thing in uh, Safari, weirdly Google docs does not work because they have their own, they use their own, like, like, uh, I guess, text kit, hmm. um, implementation. Um, you will see suggestions pop up for other words, like as you're typing. So you can say, Oh, I want to say this. Um, you can also, quickly access, you know, the color or, or the, the size or, you know, make something bold or italic. That's to me, not that useful. Um, that those sorts of things are, I think, you know, especially completion stuff is interesting on your phone when you are obviously, you know, it's harder to type and and you're using your thumbs and where your fingers are right next to the word suggestions. Exactly. Um, it's not as easy when you're typing, especially if you're a touch typist like me. So you're not even really looking down at the keyboard. Like I, I'm not going to actually, I know what word I want, and it's not going to save me any time to look down and, and touch which option I want next. That's probably not going to save me any more time than just using, um, just typing it myself. And certainly, it's not going to be any faster for me to press a bold button than it is to select text <laughs> okay. and yeah. press Command B. Like the, it's literally going to take me more time to, to take my fingers off of the keys and press a button. That said, there are some applications where I think it becomes really useful. So. Um, the one thing I really like, backing up real quick, uh, about the touch bar is the touch bar also includes touch ID on the power button. Now, that is awesome. Touch ID on the Mac is amazing. The fingerprint sensor being part of it, to me, was actually a bigger deal than the touch bar. I think the touch bar has potential, and it'll depend on third-party apps, but the fingerprint sensor was something that I immediately fell in love with um, because it takes the place anytime you need to enter in your user password, you can just type in your fingerprint. Now, I don't know about you guys, and maybe I shouldn't admit this, but my login password for my user account, I have really strong passwords almost everywhere else. My login password for my user account is not that strong, um, mostly because I type it in all the time. Yeah. So, you know, it's one of those things, you know, anytime you need to have a system activity and anytime you need to log into your computer, like it's it's just, it's it's a, it's got a, you know, multiple casing that has a, has a letter in it, but like it's, it's not the best that it could be. Um, it could certainly be stronger. Um. But part of that is just because of how many times I type it in. You know, it's not dissimilar, I think, to why a lot of us used four, um, you know, character uh, passwords on our phones for a long time and, right. until Apple kind of forced you to use six. <laughs> They're like but, hard but, elbow nudge to the side. Change it. <laughs> exactly. And then, and then finally you're like, all right, fine, Apple, I will change my four, you know, pin code to six. Fine. I get it. Well, 
going to having like touch ID on the the login thing, that was something where I was like, oh, actually, I could make a really complex password because I can just use my fingerprint anytime I need to, you know, use a system function, anytime I need to log in. You do need to, when you restart your computer, you have to type in your password again, the same way you do with an iPhone, but it's got the secure enclave. So you're literally all of your your system functions are working that way. And then you take an app like one password, which is one of my favorite apps and one of my most used apps. And it has both support it has support for both the touch bar and touch ID. And so one password is another one of those apps where like the password that, to get into it is important for that to be complex. But if you type it in a lot, it can be annoying. Mm-hmm. And you might have a situation where like, you know, you you stay for it to be unlocked all the time or whatever, and then that's not necessarily safe. Yeah. So to be able <laughs> the to point literally of one just password and last pass is that you totally you should they they it logs you out frequently because you should not be logged into it all the time. Right. <laughs> but, but 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 because of that, people I think for their master passwords for that stuff sometimes tend to choose not a secure password yeah. because you type it in so many times. So again, like one password, I can just use my fingerprint and log into my vault, and anytime I need to access it, I can log into my vault. That's awesome. Um, but then one password also uses the touch bar. And so you can do things like, you know, create a new password, um, move, you know, something to another folder, tag things. So they've done really a good job with that. Um, uh, the uh, guys at Pixelmator have done a really nice job with their implementation where you can access some of the tools on the side, um, you know, with the touch bar rather than having to use keyboard shortcuts, which if you're in the app all day, you might know all your key bindings. But if you're not, it can be definitely can be useful. Um, Microsoft is, is doing them uh, that way, too. And and I, I like um, even uh, the Mail app, I think, actually does a really nice job with how you can access certain functions through the touch bar. But if I'm being honest right now, I mean, it seems more there. Again, there are certain applications like I think the way that you can scrub through video in Final Cut Pro um, 10 is very cool. And I think it's actually better in some regards than just using, you know, your your um, arrow keys or um, trying to use the trackpad because you can be a lot more precise. You're literally kind of going through and you can slow down or speed up and then double tap and it'll, you know, pause exactly where you want to be. And so you're really kind of going through frame by frame. It, it's nice. And, and it's and it's an experience that feels at least to me, I'm not a professional video editor, um, I, so I would love to take, I'd love to see, you know, your experience with it, Simone, um, and and what you would think of it. But like for me, I feel like that's a really good use case of that. Um, you can also do the same thing with audio stuff. Um, it, Logic doesn't support it yet, but but will. And if you're like in QuickTime, or even if you're watching a YouTube video on Safari, you can scroll through with your fingertips. I think that stuff is really cool. But I think some of the stuff is really just servicing, you know, shortcuts that a lot of people already have memorized. And so for something that's a pro device, I don't know how much of a game changer this is. But I think that as long as developers start building really interesting things around it, and as people obviously start to kind of create customized things, so you could have, like the idea that would be cool to me would be, I have a program called like um, default folder X and I love default folder X and, and I have like some, some key bindings that'll immediately take me to, you know, um, a certain folder. But if I'm, you know, as, because default folder X kind of takes over finder a little bit, if, if that was able to have touch bar support and if I could immediately just press, you know, a button at the top and go to my favorite folder rather than having to remember the, the key binding, honestly, that would be faster. Or, you know, one of the, one of the default actions you can kind of create, 
to always be on your screen at all times, for instance, is something for a screenshot. So rather than having to press command shift four, which isn't a big deal, you could just press that button. And that's useful. Like I think that those are things that have potential, but I think it's going to depend on how much developers pick it up and how much customization is really available. But having said all that, like, I'm not going to lie, it feels a little bit gimmicky for now. Mm-hmm. I think it has potential, but I don't think, I think there are other reasons to buy the MacBook Pro. I don't think this is one of those things where, like... It's not the deal breaker or the, no, the selling you, point, as it were. Precisely. It, it, it's, it's a nice bonus. Yeah. But it's, it's not going to be the reason you get it. It's a feature. Yeah. Those, those last two things you said about um, having a screenshot button or a navigate to favorite folder button, like, those those seem to me to be uses of the touch bar that I, I would enjoy. I mean, I also use um, Command-Shift-3 and Command-Shift-4 for... Ps- taking many 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 stupid screenshots yeah but yes yes it would be so very easy to just be like boop yeah screenshot but i mean for video editing i would be willing to try it but i also struggle to think well i mean because i can scroll horizontally with a magic mouse i can do like fast forward and pause and play commands with keyboard keys and so for me that's already a workflow that's ingrained and i'm not I, I would have to like to really right. experiment to find value for that in my work where I would be really interested in seeing a use case would just be somebody who doesn't use keyboard shortcuts ever. Like I would be really interested to know if it is intuitive and easy for them to use the touch bar and would that improve their mastery of things that you can do with the MacBook or would it just be limiting or um or disruptive yeah i don't know i mean i i think that and and i said this when i did my hands-on you know i think a lot of people were like oh is it going to be weird looking down on it because of where it's positioned and how it's done it's not you can ignore it when you want to ignore it you can even turn it off in the settings you can even completely yeah. turn it off and just have the extended bar that has like the default you know control your your keyboard background control your um you know um volume control that stuff by default um, but I don't know. I think it'll be interesting. Again, I mean, I think it'll for people who don't use keyboard shortcuts. I don't know if they're going to be any more willing to use anything like this or not. I mean, I think it's, it's an interesting idea. It's really funny. It feels like we are we're both the best people to review this because we are so familiar with the technology, but we're also the worst because we're the people that have <laughs> workflows that are intricate exactly. and set in freaking stone. Well, that's <laughs> well, and, and that's sort of the problem. And I said that I said as much in my review is like if you are a professional, you know. Which still, you know, despite, you know, the, the, the Quebecing of people is, is who a lot of people who are going to be spending minimum of $1,800 on a laptop are, are going to be using this for work from most cases. You know, some people might be doing, using it as a home computer, but it's certainly not the target target market. Um, you probably have your your keyboard shortcut set up. You probably have your workflow. That isn't to say you can't make a better workflow. And that isn't to say that this couldn't be useful in that and that there aren't some apps that will do that. And I certainly think that in certain apps, especially like apps like Photoshop or even Final Cut, just having access to having things show up on the bottom um, touch bar. Like this was one example. Like for instance, you can be in Final Cut and you can hide certain um, Chrome windows and just instead see your tools on the touch bar. So it frees up space on your desktop to see, you know, you can do the same thing with, with, with like, you know, photo editing apps where you can see, you know, the entire thing, you know, your photo could take up your entire screen and you could have access to your tools 
on the touch bar. That is that pretty becomes cool. useful. That becomes useful, especially if you're using this as your primary machine, you don't have it connected to an external monitor. That then is saving you space and is, and is putting things in a smarter way. Um, Excel does the similar thing where, you know, rather than having some of the ribbon stuff all out in front, like you're literally able to access those those features inside some of the ribbon from your touch bar. I think those are smart smart things to do. But, I mean, it's really going to come down to developers building support for this. Um, Steven, you know, for what you do, I know you haven't played with it yet, but is this something that seems like you would be interested in at all, like that it would help your workflow? Because you're, you know, like like Simone and I, you have, I'm sure, like your own, you know, key bindings and, and setup of, of everything right. just so. Yeah, and especially in Logic, which my understanding is the update is coming for this. But yeah. I think I agree with the two of you that like I've got my workflows and my system set up and it makes sense to me and it's been, you know, honed and, and kind of adjusted over the years. But what I keep coming back to is this machine, like and this technology may not be for us right now. If you think about, right. um, you know, younger people now who, you know, maybe they're in school and they just have an iPhone and maybe they have like a, you know, a family Mac or something but when they graduate to being sort of a full you know full-time mac user at some point if they, if they go down that road then these ios like things are going to feel much more natural to them than they do to us you know i look at this and it's like well they're kind of like crap you know like cropping some stuff out of ios and like pasting it onto the mac and that's yeah. true and that feels weird i think for people like us but i think people who or sort of iOS first and maybe even iOS only and then come to the Mac, it's going to make the Mac feel more comfortable and make it feel more dynamic than uh, they may, you know, feel currently with like keyboard shortcuts. So I think that's a great point. I think, I think that's an excellent point. And one of the things I didn't really just because, you know, I, I didn't want my review to be super, super long, but I know other reviewers touched on this, you know, it, to me, it feels like this is, this is the close. Everybody's wanted to touch you know, a, a touch MacBook. Mm-hmm. We're never going to get a MacBook with touch, I don't think, until they fuse the two operating systems, which I'm sure will happen at some point, right? But until that happens, this is as close as we get, I think. You know, this is, this is I think, Apple basically saying, this. okay, you want to touch on the Mac, this is this is how we give it to you. And, right. but, but I think, but you know what I mean? But I think you make a great point, Stephen, which is, even though right now the price and 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 the the, the positioning and, and whatnot is is probably going to mean that the first wave of adopters are people who might not necessarily use all the features. This is obviously the direction that Apple's going with with their notebooks, and you can imagine in a few years every single notebook they sell will have something like this. And yeah, you're probably right. You know, people who are iOS first or iOS only um, will probably feel better and more you know at home you know, pressing a button on the screen rather than, you know, remembering what shortcut to type in. Right. I think Apple's pretty committed to the idea that that touch on a Mac is a horizontal surface. And there have been a bunch of interviews and stuff with Phil mm-hmm. Schiller and other Mac hardware people over really over the last several months kind of leading up to this machine now and now that it's here saying that, you know, hey, we've tried touch um, and it it's ridiculous. You know, I'm, I'm sitting in front of a big 27-inch iMac like as a, uh, Example that I think uh, Schiller gave somebody in the past week saying like touch on a screen that big just it, we don't think it makes sense for us and to your point Christina Mac OS is just not built for touch like the controls no. are way too small like the, it's it's built for a keyboard and mouse the, that's where the Mac comes from so with what the Mac really introduced to the masses and so this is a sort of a bridge to to that other world to say you know what, you can have touch you can have dynamic inputs um, 
you can do all these different things and we can surface all these things in these different apps, but it's not going to be on the screen. It's going to be on this horizontal surface. And that's where your hands are. That's where your hands are going to stay, at least for the foreseeable future. And uh, I think I'm fine with that. I don't, you know, I like Mac OS a lot. It's, 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 uh, I consider myself a Mac user first and iOS to be, you know, secondary. So I, I don't really want them to take Mac OS away from me and, and turn it <laughs> right. into a big 27 inch iPad. No, Federico Vitici would disagree with me, but um, I think a lot of people want the Mac to kind of be the way that it is. And what this allows them to do is say, you know, you can have all your stuff, like for the, like the three of us who know all the keyboard shortcuts and programs like Logic and Final Cut, then we can, like, they're not taking that away from us. That's we true. can still no, do all that stuff. They're just taking our ports away from us. Well, that's a different, uh, it's a <laughs> yeah. different thread. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and honestly, like, dongle hell is a thing, but we kind of talked about it before. Like, I, I think that it's the right move. It's yeah. gonna be. I, I don't want to rehash uh, old, I know, old but, grievances. But, but, but I'm just saying, like having having now spent time, I spent you know close to three weeks, you know, with with the various Macs and having to kind of deal with the one on one. You, it's definitely annoying. But once you have your dongles, you know, you have your setup and you have it done. I think that I would be very surprised, especially, you know, Apple taking this stance. And But we see it because I'm, I'm currently reviewing. I'm currently doing a head-to-head with with a couple other Windows notebooks against against the, the MacBook Escape Edition. And some of them have, I mean, they all have standard USB ports, but they have, they have USB-C ports as well. And honestly, like, because of this, because it's becoming a standard thing, you're going to start seeing almost everything be sold, I think, with with both connectors or USB-C first. And at some point, you know, I'd probably say within the next year, it'll be harder to find, you know, the standard USB connections. And then that's that 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 that'll happen. I all eagerly the, await that day. And on that day, I'm going to take a sledgehammer to the PCs that I currently have to work with. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the turning point there will be when does Apple ch- change the lightning cable that goes in the box of the iPhone? Yeah. And oh, yeah. That's the big one to me. Like, when Ooh, did, do they do that next year? I think they probably do. Uh, but they still sell a lot of iPhone users to uh, a lot of PC users, of course. Oh, but, yeah. But but what I think, I, I think Apple really believes that no one needs to plug their phone into their computer anymore. The people like me who still sync music over USB are old fashioned. Totally. So they'll change. Sort- so what they'll do is they'll change the uh the 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 you know the port. They'll change it so rather than having a full size USB into your five volt adapter or five volt adapter, it'll be USB C into it, right? Is that what you're right. thinking? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That that they don't care that some people still plug it into the computer. So you know all these PC users who are going to be stuck with USB A forever until they buy a new computer. Uh, they don't care about those people. Most people just take the wall charger. It's like the headphone thing. Most people yeah, just totally. use the headphones in the box. And so, oh, hey, cool, I got a new wall charger. Oh, I got a new cable. For most people, I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal, even if they don't have a computer that supports USB-C yet. And even if they don't, they have their old iPhone cable. So I think I'm not too worried about that future. I think I, I agree with you. Like this transition is going to be uh, – when it's done, it's going to be wonderful. Like you, the the USB C future. Like I want to live there, where one little magic port can <laughs> yeah. do everything. We all just want to close our eyes and wake up in the future. Yeah, I mean, uh, yes. it's it's crazy. Now we have all this stuff, and it's all different. And USB C promises to get rid of all that. And I'm I'm I bought a bunch of dongles. I'm super annoyed about one of them in particular, but it's you know it's fine. Like which one? I, uh, the SD card yeah. slot being gone. Yeah. Really, yeah, it's yeah. under my skin, but. It, 
honestly, and they had room for it. Like they, they could have still included that like that. That's one where, especially, you know, as as people are getting more and more into drone photography, like, and, and GoPros and things like that, like you have an SD card slot for more and more reasons. Um, I did a a Facebook live, uh, with uh, my colleague, Alex Kranz, and she insulted a bunch of pro photographers by claiming that no pro photographer uses an SD card. They all use combat flash anyway. And I was like, actually, a lot of people use Micro Four Thirds and, and people have cameras that have SD cards for 4K video shoots and things like that. But even if you're not, I mean, yeah, that's one of those things where it's annoying, where, you know, you had something that used to be built in and now you've got to bring an adapter with you. But, yeah. I mean, I think... I mean, it yeah, is what it, it is, right? Like, it is what it is, exactly. <laughs> there are some things we cannot change. Shall we move it's on true. to our delicious dessert topic? The only good news that's come out <laughs> of this month so far... <laughs> Sure. The peach emoji will remain yes. unchanged. So in the beta for iOS 10.2, there there was a, a horrible change decried widely as the worst thing. Widely. Definitely the worst thing Apple's ever done. Everyone said so. Absolutely 100% <laughs> factual and true. They changed. It was actually, the, it was worse than maps. Yes. Yes. Uh, and it affected more lives, I think we could say, and happiness completely in totally yeah. negative ways. The peach I mean, emoji maps, maps just meant you couldn't find your way around. Like this meant that you couldn't communicate properly. Well, you would be able to find you wouldn't be you would be lost, but then you wouldn't also be able to send fruit that looked like a butt to someone and be like, "I'm lost." Fruit that looks like a butt. That's mm-hmm. how you. That's how you deal with problems. So yeah, this would be like the the darkest timeline if if they had kept it wrong. So the peach emoji. <laughs> The peach emoji uh, looks like a butt, as we know, and in the beta, it was changed to be more round to, in fact, look unpeach-like. It looked like not a peach. It looked like some kind of lame apple, some kind of boring apple. Um, but in the final version of 10.2, the peach is back to its regular peach self, which means that those of us who sexed... <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> or even just people who like to enjoy, you know, a good butt joke. Yes. As as Megan Frogmanash says in her write-up for The Verge, um, I can't find the quote that I'm looking for. Um, <laughs> I don't know what she says because I can't read. Um, <laughs> can, can you just imagine love the... Love sending the, suggestive fruit. That's the word I'm looking for. There you go. Can you just imagine the meeting that took place at Apple, right? Like, uh, they changed this. Somebody, So somebody drew the new peach, right? Some so They yeah. ha- had some artists on staff do this new piece of fruit. I'm sure they labored over it. More photorealistic. They're like, oh, it looks great. Yeah. You, like, there's a conference room, and it's just like there's a basket of peaches on the table, and they're like it's like a beautiful mind-style wall with just fruit pictures <laughs> everywhere. And then someone comes in. I don't know who this person is. It's Tim a, Cook. Senior, uh, Tim Cook. Himself. He says, hey, guys, here's the deal. Like good work on this, but I really need it to go back. And and like what what does that conversation even look like? Like uh, I know you did all this work, and I, <laughs> we should say like the rest of the new emoji look. I think they look great. I think they look yeah, great. you've got your real your avocado, your realistic strawberry, your more realistic bacon, tomato, bacon, bacon yeah. your shrimp, a carrot. That's I mean that's gonna join the ranks of the suggestive the fruit selfie emojis. image. Yeah, they've got lots of stuff. You have the the more diverse emoji. No, I mean, I honestly, Tim I, Cook I think walks that, um, in, he's like, we have to think about our user base. Uh, well, yeah. what happened is that the Tim Cook got a lot of angry emails with uh, pictures of from, the from, peach from emoji. <laughs> I was actually going to say it was probably pictures of the eggplant uh, with with some with some choice words. Um, I bet it and, was peach emoji, think, but then like the wind blowing emoji. 
right next to it. Mm. That's a good one. Yeah. Good combo right That's there. That's a good one. And, 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 then, and then he's Android users it are the, like, what? <laughs> and then he's looking and he's looking at it on, on his and this phone running the 10.2 beta and he's going, why doesn't this look? Oh, I see what they're complaining about now. Yeah. Um, but, I, but, I, but I think but I think that it, it points out kind of an interesting thing. Um, and like a lot of people, some people were like saying, like, why do people get mad about emojis changing? You know, especially if, if they're technically looking better. And, and my argument has always been, I mean, you know, it's a valid thing to get upset about. It might seem silly, um, but it's it emoji becomes a form of pigeon. And as much of so much of the of the context and what you're saying depends on how the things are drawn, which is why, you know, our conversations with people who use Android or Windows phones are often different. You know, like they might not understand the same nuances. You know, people who use different operating systems sometimes have different nuances of how things are portrayed because, you know, the smiley looks a little different. And Freaking you like, new moon oh, with well, face. you know, well, exactly. Like one of them looks like it's like, you know, and, and one of them looks like it's kind of winking and kind of being, you know, like cheeky and another one, it kind of looks like it's sarcastic. Like that can totally change mm-hmm. how people are interpreting things. It's like and somebody walked have- up to me and was like, the word booty no longer means that it means something entirely. It just right. literally means peach. And I'm like, what? Exactly. And so when when this because, you know, emoji is a form of pigeon and because people have gotten used to it in a certain context, I mean, I think people get very upset with how that stuff happens. We still see people who I think aren't happy with how some of the, you know, um, emojis like the, the faces have been redrawn because they look a little bit different and their eyes are different and they have different coloring. And I know some people are still mad about that. Um, but you know, I think you can, you can get used to that because it's still the same, the context is the same, but when you literally change what has become, you know, a, a cultural like point stone for what something means. Yeah. You're going to have a backlash and, and to Apple's credit, they recognize that. And you know, within two beta versions, it was, <laughs> it was gone. I'm very happy about it. it. I actually just had this conversation with a friend of mine who's on Android and we were communicating in Facebook messenger. So I'm not sure how it's different, but I was sending him some emoji and he was like, I'm just seeing boxes, buddy. What are those? And so I had <laughs> a screenshot and then send them to him. And then he sent me a bunch of just like, a random assortment and they all came up as actual iOS emoji for me. So I'm not sure what they originally looked like on Android. I'm not sure if the meaning was the same really. I mean, the general meaning was the same because it was like the shadow people and the boy family, but it it is so interesting. It's an invisible Canyon of communication um, in, in that case, Android to iOS. And in the case of my trying to text someone on Android, it was a very, a brick wall of communication because he literally right. could not see anything that I was saying. Exactly. Because it depends on what version of Android you have and, and what emojis, you know, they support, which, yeah, I mean, this is another reason why in some cases a closed system works better <laughs> because you can kind of control that, every, that everybody yeah. has the same thing. But it's also interesting um, that you see like how Microsoft, like when they redesign their emojis, their redesigned emojis, as uh, Jeremy from Emojipedia would, would point out, look a lot like iOS. And I don't think it's even so much that, any, that, that it's kind of a, a concession that, like, iOS has the right design or anything. I don't think it's about that. I think it's just that culturally we accept that the iOS emojis are the emoji that people know. And, um, it, you know, and I, and I think, you know, everybody takes their cues from that. So when Apple makes a decision to, to change how something looks, it has broader repercussions. And so, I mean, this is what beta tests are for though, right? I mean, I think that this is honestly, what do you think, Steven? This is like chalk one up to like the public beta. Yeah. I think I, I, I guarantee they had feedback on it. Like people were up in arms. Um, so yeah, I guess the beta, pro- I guess the, the lesson is the beta process works. Yay. Well, 
What are we up to this week? Steven, what are you up to? What am I up to? Uh, so we are going to be, uh, you know, doing stuff. We normally do it Relay. Got a bunch of shows that are always coming out. Um, I will I will plug one of them, a new show called Mixed Feelings. about It's like news and politics uh, hosted by two women who are in college. And it's, it's excellent. It's different from other stuff we have on the network. It's not tech. It's not design. It's not development. But their point of view on the world is one that is, um, for me at least, uh, super enjoyable to listen to and i would encourage you to go uh, go check that out but past that you know just uh, gearing up for thanksgiving um trying to come up with uh, reasons to avoid family like everyone else is this week so <laughs> same old same old i'll try do you have a, a link for mixed feelings i'm uh, googling yes. it literally right now but you can tell me also i'll yeah, put it really in the show notes slash mixed feelings all right there it is in the show notes christina what are you up to um, so I'm uh, working on uh, this thing ba- called Battle Moto, I'm comparing a bunch of um, 13-inch laptops. And um, I don't know if that – it'll probably be up next week, but I'm, but I'm kind of in the process of doing that. It'll be a video component, a written component. And I'm also working on a little DIY project um, about how to build your own um, mini Super Nintendo um, with Raspberry Pi. Yeah, so you can take a Raspberry Pi and, and, and uh, some other stuff and build your own – um, mini Super Nintendo, um, which is great since nobody can get the regular full size Mini Nintendo because it's you know sold out everywhere. Um, but if if you're wanting to relive your 16 bit days as well um, with a little bit of a time and uh, uh, some hacker foo, you can do that. So um, both of those things should be out next week, and that's that's uh, kind of my big projects for the week. That is extremely awesome. Uh, I am in book hell. All week, I'm doing content edits on my book that's coming out um, in February. Not the one that's coming out this month, on the 29th, ah, but the one that's coming out in February. Um, so that's a fun, delightful, horrible experience that I'm having right now. Um, and I'm also spending some time calling my state senators and state representatives, um, which is something that I guess I'm, I encourage a lot of people to do if you feel as strongly as I do, whatever way you feel about the election and about the direction that our government is moving in. Um, so I'm putting some links in the show notes to help find uh, your senators and your representatives. Um, and my experience phone calling, uh, I, I hate phones. I hate them a lot. But it is a very, as annoying as it is to have to speak on a phone, a very simple experience of just calling someone and you can even read from a script telling them your feelings and they won't like try to argue with you or have a conversation with you. Their job is literally just to communicate your feelings as a constituent to your representative, which is very cool. Um, And apparently that is the best way to communicate with the politicians who are representing us. So that's something that I'm spending some time on this week doing those wonderful fun things um and you can find me online on twitter i'm back on twitter but not on my phone just on my computer um at doom quasar you can find my videos at youtube.com slash polygon what about you christina you can find me at film underscore girl on the Twitters, the Facebook, the Instagrams, or not the Facebooks, Facebooks, I'm Christina.Warren, but the Twitters, the Instagrams, the Snapchats. And uh, you can find my writing online at uh, uh, gizmodo.com. Steven, who even are you? I don't know. <laughs> Where can uh, we you find can find you? me on Twitter at ISMH. You have uh, such a good handle. Sorry I'm interrupting you repeatedly. That's such a good handle. So, so. ISMH is the International Society of Men's Health, and one day they're going to come after it. So I have a backup <laughs> one. Uh, is this the same for I Shake My Head? 
uh, it's my initials with an I in front of it because uh, yeah, oh, because you're an I guy. Got fan, it. Got it. Fanboy. Um, it's a little embarrassing. Uh, Relay.fm. Uh, my nickname and then, is my, my my nickname is C Mac. So yeah, See, we're okay, on the on. we're all on the same exactly. boat here. Sorry, sorry. Go on. Uh, yeah, so Relay.fm, find a bunch of shows we do, and uh, you can find my writing at 512pixels.net. Nice. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like the show, please uh, consider leaving a review on iTunes, because that's always a cool thing that cool people do. Uh, thank you again. Uh, and this episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 <laughs>